So for the next four weeks, you'll see the title of the sermons that we're going to talk about up here on these banners. Uh, five years ago when we started Solid Rock at Market Common, I preached our core value series, which is part of our membership process here at Solid Rock. And so if you, it's been years since you joined the church, you probably haven't heard it. If you've joined the church recently, you've heard similar sermons. And so we are starting a four-week series today called Core Values. Core values, and uh, these are the core values of Solid Rock that keep us growing, they keep our hearts receiving, they keep our family healthy and close. And so uh, the reason I'm preaching this mainly is because uh, last Sunday we had 19 people that got saved, and I'm going to make a statement in a second that may shock you about that. Before I do, I want to read to you Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus said, go and make, and what's that word? He didn't say go and make Christians. It's very important you understand the word Christian is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible, not in any of the original language where you see the word, the word Christian did not come about until about five or six hundred years ago. Jesus never said just get them saved. See, America has done something to Christianity that's not biblical. They've turned Christians into people who show up on Sunday morning, they want to feel good, and they live like the devil for six days. Then they come back on Sunday and they think everything's going to be okay. And if you're part of a church like that where you're comfortable with sin, it's not a New Testament church. It's a cult. Um, and I would encourage you to get into a church. If it's not this one, find a place where you are pushed toward Jesus, where you're constantly asked to sacrifice and grow and discipline your life after Jesus. That's where disciple comes from is discipline. Baptizing them with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them not to just feel good. Teaching them not just that you're saved and you're going to heaven, but teaching them to obey the things he's commanded us. How many of you realize that all of us have disobedient areas in our life and we need to hear teaching that is convicting, not just makes you feel good? Understand that. So that's the point of our core values is to make sure we are growing as disciples, not just Christians. And so today I want to talk to you about our core value, we give. We give, and um, I'll be honest with you, money is the most fascinating subject to me in the Bible. There is no more a fascinating subject in the entire Bible than money, because all growing up, I saw Christians manipulate each other financially. I've seen um, uh, spouses um, break up and have horrible marriages because they fight about money. I've seen friendships that were supposed to last forever disintegrate because of money. Uh, I was raised in churches and saw where they passed the plate every Sunday and they begged an offering out of everybody. And if you give $100, you'll be healed of your epilepsy. And if you give $200, you know, you'll find your wife next week and you $300 and all these different things. And, um, you know, if, if you don't, if, when they pass the plate, if you don't give, you know, you feel like you're a jerk or something. So you got to pull out something to give because people are watching you and all this manipulation money. So when I finally gave my heart to Jesus... And then a few years after that, I started pastoring. I immediately studied every single scripture in the Bible about money. And it is the most amazing subject. I mean, when you really dive in to what God says, how we should handle money and what the purpose of money is, it will amaze you and shock you. So let me give you a few facts before we get into our message today. And the first one is this. The Bible has 400 verses on faith, 500 on prayer, and 2,000 are about money. Of the 2,000, 1,971 of them are about how money is the greatest contestant for our heart. Above any addiction, above any type of immorality, above anything we could ever battle in life, 1,971 verses in the Bible say that money has the potential to steal your heart away from Jesus above everything else. 
Jesus preached about money more than any other subject. Hell was number two. So imagine if Jesus had a church here on earth, you probably would not attend if every Sunday, get your hand out. Today we're going to talk about money. Uh, I think I'll visit next week. Today we're going to talk about hell. Maybe I'll come back. Today we're going to talk about money again. Every week it was either money or hell is what Jesus preached on in the Gospels. Money is the number one reason for strife in marriage. Money is the number one reason for stress in most people on planet Earth. And money is the number one reason for war since time began. Now, since money is the number one reason for war, you could also add to that money is the, the highest cause of death. Because, of course, war is where most people are murdered and killed. And if it has to do with money, all again, it goes back to money. Revelation 13, 17 says that the Antichrist is going to rule using the power of money. Amazing. I mean, it is amazing. Jesus was betrayed by a close friend for money. Now, here's the one that you may not realize. I get between 20 and 26 phone calls and emails every single month for people asking for money. They don't ask, how can I get closer to God? They don't ask, how can I help my marriage? They don't ask, how can I serve the church more? They don't ask, how can I grow in my prayer life? I get more calls than anything else about people asking for money. Why is that? Here's why. Money wants to be our God. If you want to write this down, you can write the word mammon. Mammon is the spirit of money. And money desires to rule over your life. Let me prove it to you. Money makes you promises that only God can fulfill. Money says, if you have more of me, you'll have more peace. But God says, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Money says, if you have more of me, you'll have more joy. You'll be happier in life. If you pursue me, get more of me. But the Bible says the joy of the Lord is where our strength comes from. Um, the world says, money says, if you have more money, you'll be more confident. You'll feel better about yourself. But God says, no, if you have more of me, you'll have more confidence. Uh, money says, I'm your source. You need me. I am your source. But no, no, no. God says, I'm your source. I'm your source. I'll use money. I'll use people. But I'm your source. Uh, money says, I'm the answer to your problems. <laughs> how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you in life, you thought, if I just had more money, I'd have less problems. Now, biblically, the Bible actually says the more money you have, the more battles you have. Biblically, okay? But again, money says, I'm the answer to your problems. But God says, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm the answer to your problems. Pursue me. Yet most people think about, dwell on, and ponder things that have to do with money and needs and how they're going to pay for this and get this. And they want this more than they ponder or meditate on God or what he's done for them or his word. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money, watch this, is the root of all evil. Now, just before, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but imagine if you were to honor what the Bible says and what God says involving money, how would that change every area of your life? Every area, your marriage, your relationships, your sleep, your peace, your joy, everything could be changed if the love of, now money's not the root of all evil. Remember that, it's not money. If, if money was the problem, God would not have given Solomon billions of dollars. Money's not the problem. It's when money sits on the throne of your heart where only God belongs. That's the problem. Mark 10, 23, Jesus told his disciples, it's harder for rich people to get to heaven. And now let me rephrase that. Um, it is, it, it, it's hard for people who have more of the greatest battle in human history to get to heaven. It's harder for people to get to heaven uh, who have more money because that's just more of a battle for them to be pulled away from God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I'm not rich. I don't fall in that category. Listen, if you make more than $4,760 a year, which is, in other words, if you make more than $100 a week, 
um, then you're in the top 24% of the world's wealthiest and richest people. So all of you are rich. Don't leave here thinking you're not rich. You're rich. So what does God's word say about money? How can we get under the blessing? How can we get to a place in life where the greatest battle in human history, the greatest reason for stress, the greatest reason for divorce, the greatest reason for war, how can we win this battle? How can this be something we don't have to really worry about in life? I'm going to show you. Point number one is this. Ready? Say, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, point number one is it's God's tithe. It's God's tithe. Now, the word tithe comes from the Hebrew word tenth, meaning the first tenth of your income. And Malachi 3 says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? In other words, you're a thief. How? You've withheld tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Now, I just want you to understand, I wish I could, I wish I communicate how um, possessive the tithe is to God. All through the Hebrew, anytime you see the word tithe, it is incredibly, you'll see this today, incredibly possessive. He says, it's mine. It's not yours. It belongs to me. It is for my purpose. It's, it's, like, it's like the last Krispy Kreme donut. Don't touch it. Don't smell it. Don't lick it. Don't put your finger on it. It's mine. If I see that indention in the Krispy Kreme donut, I'm going to be upset. It's the last one. It belongs to me. It is not yours. Even if you're a vegan, I don't care. You can't have it. It's not a vegan donut. And somehow it's not. Okay, it's mine. It belongs to me. You're cursed with a curse. See, any area of our life where we don't put God first in because we're in a cursed world, you're going to live under a curse. But any area of our life that we put God first will always live under a blessing. He says bring. He doesn't say give because you can't give something that's not yours. You can only bring it back. Bring your full tithe, the first tenth, not the last tenth because it takes no faith in, the first tenth of your income into the storehouse. You'll notice the tithe is not given to the building fund. It's not given to the neighbors down the street. See, the core value is we give, and giving is above tithing. Um, tithing was before the law by 500 years after the law Jesus said to tithe in Matthew 23 23 and he even implies that it's for baby Christians because listen here's why here's what this is so important I believe and this is the phrase I was going to tell you earlier that, that may upset you I believe that the 19 people who gave their life to Jesus last Sunday are actually closer to God than 90% of the Christians in America and here's why when you gave your life to Jesus that day you realized Man, somebody forgave me of every single wrong I've ever done. So I forgive everybody else. I forgive everyone. Oh, I love everybody. I have peace everywhere. Everyone, I forgive you. I love you. I've been forgiven. And then 20 years later, they get offended because somebody sat in their seat at church or because somebody looked at them or didn't say hey to them or they were wearing a mask and they, they said, did they say, I, don't, I couldn't see their face. You get these little things offend you, but when you got saved, you forgave everybody. When you got saved, you thought this, everything I have is yours, God. Everything, my whole life, my children, I love you so much. It all belongs to you. 20 years later, how about 10%? No, I can't do 10%. But everything I have is yours except for 10%. But everything else is yours, God. And what happens is in America, it seems like we, we digress after we get saved and we start to, there's a, like the gap between us and the heart of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He says, bring the tithe and the source that there may be food in my house. It belongs to God and we are bringing it back. Um, let's say that last weekend while Jeff was in town, a friend of mine, that I let him use my car. And then, you know, I come back in town and he comes up to me before he leaves and he says, John Paul, I've been praying 
and I feel like God wants me to bless you. And I said, oh, really? That's great. He says, yeah, I'm going to give you this car. I would say, listen, man, this is not your car to give. It's mine. It belongs to me. You can return it to me, but it's not yours. It is mine. And I'll let you, I'll let it go through your hands, but you need to bring that car back to me. Understand the Old Testament, it says don't murder. The New Testament under grace says forgive. I don't know about you, but it's easier not to murder than it is to forgive, right? It's so much easier not to murder people than it is to forgive everybody. The Old Testament says don't commit adultery. The New Testament says don't even look at someone in lust. You have to understand under grace, it's higher. That's why under grace, we give above the tithe. The 10% is the minimum. Now, let me tell you what God's dream is for your life financially. Matthew 6, 31 says this. He never wants you to worry. You should never, ever, ever have to worry about money, ever. If you put God first in this area, listen real close. Here's what you're saying. God, all of the, the, the worry of finances, the paying the bills, the open, it's all in your hands now. Because I'm going to obey you in this area of my life, I no longer worry. I don't take the stress. If I lose my house, then you may have something better. If I lose my car, you got something better. You're trying to teach me whatever it is. I'm going to trust you because I give you this. This is yours. I'm bringing the 10% to you. So it's no longer in my hands. All of the financial things in my life are going to go through you. So I don't worry. A man, now see, the, for husbands, this is more difficult because we think we're the provider for our family. We're not. God's the provider. You say, well, I've been working hard and I, I started this business. No, no, no. God did all of that through you. All of it through you. So imagine dating somebody or even in your marriage saying, listen, I'm going to work hard. You work hard. But financially, we put God first because he's in charge. He's the provider, not us. So the responsibility is not mine to figure out how it's going to happen and to force this door open. Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Nope. I'm going to honor God and let him be in charge of it. Don't worry about money. Instead, put God first and he will provide you with all these other things. Let me give you an analogy to kind of help you with this. This is a, um, a Bojangles box. Y'all know what Bojangles is? Am I know Bojangles? Okay. Do you know what Bojangles is? Yeah. If you're Southerners, you know what Bojangles is. So this is a chicken wing. And this represents how God has blessed us. And here's what a lot of people do. God blesses them and, and their, their business is profiting or they get their sap, whatever they're getting paid. And they think, okay, God, before I honor you, before I honor you, I need to make sure I pay my mortgage. And then after that, I got to make sure I have the, the, the latest cell phone, the nicest cell phone. And then after that, God, I got to make sure I get Starbucks at least four times a week. And then after that, God, I got to make sure I get that new outfit because I'm going to that thing and you know, I'm going to have this and that. And I see something in the mall I want real bad. And I got to make sure I go to the room. I need entertainment. I got to go and all this. And then when they're done, they okay, God, you know what? There's some leftover. <laughs> and these people really think that God does this. <gasps> you left some meat on the bone for me? Thank you so much. Oh, you're such a blessing to me. Do you think the God of the universe will ever allow himself to come second in your life? Ever. He's first whether you put him first or not. He will never, ever, ever. <laughs> ever be second. He is always first. If I can't bring 
I'll never give 100%. If I can't bring 10% and we say our heart belongs to God, he's ruler over our life, we love him so If I, I'll never give 100% ever. Point number two is this. It's my heart. It's got, I got to get a drink of water because that was, um, I think those were the spicy ones. <laughs> ah, I should have used a biscuit. That would have been better. Okay, so it's God's tithe. Number two is this. It's my heart. Now, I'm going to teach you something that I, I hope that you remember for the rest of your life. Okay, so ready? Watch this. It says in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Did Jesus, yes or no, say this is the greatest commandment? Yes, he did. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. Okay, Proverbs 4.23, out of your heart flows every issue of life. Everything you battle for the rest of your life comes out of your heart. It's not the government. It's not the president. It's not your past. It's not your parents. It's not your boss. Everything you battle. Well, they hurt me. How did you respond? Everything comes out of your heart. Everything. So everything in life flows out of your heart. True or false? True. Okay, Romans 10.9, when you got saved... You confess Jesus is your Lord and you believed in your heart that God rose him from the dead. You shall be saved. Is salvation a heart issue? Yes or no? Yes. So, so far, everything is heart. Everything. Everything. How you relate to people, how you respond, your attitude, your thought life. If you're saved or not, if you're going to heaven or not. Everything is heart. Everything. But Jeremiah 79 says that your heart can deceive you. So how do you know where your heart is? Because you think it's somewhere, but according to the Bible... You can be deceived. So how do you figure out where your heart is? Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure and your riches and your wealth is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you, let's say you meet somebody and you start to fall in love and you really want to get to know them because we can all put on a good face. We can all fake people out. If you really want to know somebody, look at their bank account. Uh, if you really want to know yourself, if you, if you want to know who you are, who you are, just look at your bank statement. And everywhere you spend money, that is where your heart is. And that's where it'll always be until you change where you spend your money. Imagine telling somebody, I love you, but they never ever spend any money on you. I have, a, I have a, an acquaintance from years ago. He's a millionaire. He was making twenty to 25000 a month whenever we were um, in, in relationship together. And um, his wife worked at a little part-time job just to get out of the house. They didn't need the money. He had millions in the bank. But his wife got sick and needed some medicine, and he would not pay for her medicine. He even told her, honey, I love you, but you just need to work more jobs. She said, but baby, I need this medicine. I need, I need to take care of myself. He said, nope, you got to pay for it yourself. A millionaire would not buy his wife the medicine she needed. Listen, did he love his wife? Yes or no? No. Did he think he did? Yeah. He really thought his heart was there. He, with everything in him, he thought his heart was in his family, but it wasn't because his money wasn't. If you really, and if you really want to know your heart, look where you always spend the first 10%. Because the thing that you make sure you pay for, the thing that you make sure is covered, that cell phone, the car, the, the clothes, the, the perfume, the, the coffee, whatever you make sure you buy, that thing that you think, I can't lose this, i got to have this, that is actually who you are and where your heart is. And let me tell you why this is an amazing scripture and why it fascinates me. If God sent an angel and said, John Paul, I'm going to grant you one wish for all of your children, it would not be that they all give their life to Jesus. That would not be my wish. 
My wish would be that they all become faithful tithers. And here's why. If their treasure is in the kingdom of God, not only will their heart get there, not only will they get saved, but they will grow, grow, grow year after year after year. They'll hear from God better. They'll understand the Bible better because their heart is in the kingdom. It's an amazing passage. In other words, if you have these strings attached to you from other places like pornography and, um, and depression and drug addiction and alcohol and negativity and, 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 and slothfulness and whatever's tugging at your heart, if you get your treasure in the kingdom of God, if your finances are there, sooner or later these other things will untach themselves because your heart will always follow where your money is. That's why no matter what your battle is today, and listen, if we want, if it was about, if we wanted your money, we could do things and manipulate and all that stuff. We don't care about your money. We care about your heart. Go to another church and put your money there, but whatever it is, put your money in the kingdom of God because your heart will always follow. Your mind may want this and you're desiring this over here, but it'll always go in the direction of your finances. Always. Tithing is not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It has nothing to do with money. Nothing, 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 nothing. If you said, if I had some more money, then I would give. No, you liar. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it then. How many of you thought, well, if I, if I won the lottery, man, I'd build that new building for my church. You, listen, you, we have a saying in the South when you say something stupid. We say, uh, bless your heart. That means you're the biggest idiot in the world. But we're going to be nice because we're Southern Christians. <laughs> Bless your heart. If you can't handle your money now, you won't be able to handle it with more. You'll have more problems with more money. If you can't be faithful with little, you can't trust more. You know how attractive of a trade it is when a man honors God financially? Can you imagine what it would be like for your wife or the person that you're dating or whatever the case is to realize that you can handle, your, you can handle the money that God's blessed you with and you put him first? Man, if you did that and knowing it's a heart thing, how would your heart change? What could happen in your life? This is why, and this bothers me so bad, when churches nowadays in America, they're always looking for people who have the higher giftedness and higher talent rather than has the biggest heart, who has a heart for the kingdom. You know how many talented people we've lost here because I said, listen, you're not tithing. We don't want you up here leading worship. We don't want you teaching in Sunday school. We don't want you facilitating a Bible study because your heart's not here. Why would I ever trust somebody with responsibility over people that I love whose heart isn't in the people that I love? Your heart's not here. Well, I'm super talented and this church wants me to do this. Then go do it. I would rather have 10 people whose heart is here than 10,000 people who are faking it. And they think their heart's here. They're totally deceived. And, and there's two times I will always check to see if someone's tithing. Two times, and I'll always email the bookkeeper. Does it look like this person's a tither? Two times. One is, is if they're constantly asking to lead something. I want to lead a song. I want to lead a Bible study. I want to pray for people down front. Oh, no, 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 no. They just constantly bother me, text me. When are you going to let me? When are you going to let me? I just be able to, I'll say, listen, hold on a minute. Is your heart in the church? Well, I mean, it's going to get there one day. Well, let's wait till your heart gets there. To start. And the second time I always ask the bookkeeper um, is if they cause me a whole bunch of problems. If they cause a bunch of grief and they're stressing us out, uh, the staff, and they're, they're, they're gossiping and they're causing strife and that kind of thing. Because here's why. Your heart's not here. You're, if your heart's not here, it'll never work out for you ever. Let me lighten the mood a little bit. Um, so... <laughs> There was this millionaire that was on his deathbed and he was dying and he told his family, he said, listen, 
I put all of my money in a box up in the attic filled with cash so that when I die, as I'm going up to heaven, I can grab my money and take it with me. And he said, don't touch that box. And everybody said, okay. Well, two or three days later, he died. And his wife was cleaning out the attic, you know, and she found the box of money. She said, that old fool, I told him he should have put the money in the basement. Because he didn't go up, you get it? Okay, anyway. Uh, reminder, don't tell that joke next service. Got it, okay, here we go. So point number three is this, it's our family. It's God's tithe, it's my heart, but here's number three, it is our family. Luke 16, 12 says this, oh, man, again, I wish y'all could just be fascinated like I am. Like, I am, the Bible is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's written by, the, you have to think, the Bible's written by the most intelligent being in the universe. How could it not be the most fascinating book? Jesus said this in Luke 16, 12, no man can serve two masters. And here's what'll happen. You'll hate one and love the other, be loyal one and despise the other. Now, out of every subject he could have said in the universe, I mean every subject, here's what he said. You can't serve God and money. He didn't say Satan. He said God and money. This is, here's what this means. If your treasure is not in the kingdom of God or at your local church, I promise you, here's what will happen. You'll end up leaving this place despising it. Someone will offend you. Someone, I mean, ask, oh my goodness, listen, I can tell you from experience, email any pastor in the entire world and he will say, the people who left with a bad attitude and caused problems, their heart was never here. And there's no, no, nothing wrong with going to a different church if God sends you there and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about despising where you're at. In fact, some of you, before you became tithers here, some of you, the previous church you were at, you left with a bad attitude because your heart was not there. You left that church talking bad about the pastor. I don't like how they did this. The music was too loud. They never sang a song I like. This person offended me. They told me I couldn't do this. Here's why that happened. Your heart was never in that church because your finances were never there. I know that is offensive, but it's just honest. Thank God we're learning now. Thank God the most difficult area in the universe for any man to ever battle. We are the best giving church. I, listen, when I talk to other pastors and we have conversations and, you know, what, what came in the offering that Sunday and da-da-da, our church is far above. We are the greatest givers ever. And we don't need, listen, if none of you gave, God would still supply. So it has nothing to do with your money. I'm telling you, it's all God 100%. All God 100%. So um, Nehemiah, so God went to Nehemiah and he told Nehemiah, he said, I want you to be in charge of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, God asked for 70 years. You should write this down. Write it down. 70 years, God said, I want somebody to rebuild the wall. 70 years. He went to this man and this woman and this man and this woman. And nobody could do it. 70 years. So he goes to Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I got an idea. Here's what I'll do. I'll ask everybody to build the wall in front of their house. In other words, if they live in a giant house, then they have a giant portion of the wall. If they have a smaller house, they have a smaller portion of the wall. It'll all be based on how much they have. In other words, not everybody's going to build 10 yards of wall because that wouldn't be fair. It's not equal giving. It's going to be equal sacrifice. Because back then, if you had a big yard and a big house, you had more money. Small, smaller house, smaller money. So everyone was going to be responsible for their 
part. In other words, it says in Nehemiah 3.28, everybody repaired the wall in front of his own house. Tithing is so beautiful because it does not mean equal giving. It means equal sacrifice. 10% is 10% whether you're a millionaire or you make minimum wage. It's all the same. It's the exact same sacrifice. Because see, all of our lives, we all have different lives. All of our car payments are different. All of our, our mortgages are different. Our insurance, our, all these things are based on how much income each of us has. The beautiful thing about tithing is we're all doing the exact same for our family. It's the same thing for our family. And Nehemiah 6.1 says when they finished, there were no gaps left in the wall. It was finished in 52 Days. What could not be done in 70 years happened in 52 days because every family member did their part. My question is, will there be a gap in our family because you're not doing your part? That's my question. Because listen, if you don't do your part, that means that somebody else has to come in and do your part for you. Somebody else has to pay for the children's church materials. Somebody else has to pay for the nursery staff. Somebody else has to pay for the insurance. Somebody else has to pay for the local missions, the international missions. Somebody else has to do your part if you're not doing your part. Now, I don't know if you've ever been part of a family where one person just has a really bad season in their life and they just have a bad attitude and they don't thank mom and dad for the food and they don't clean up after themselves and they don't clean their room. If you ever had a child that just for one season just decided they were going to be a little spoiled brat You know what happens? It upsets the whole family. And now mama has to come in and do that part. And daddy has to do extra. And brother and sister got to come in. All because somebody decides they're going to leave a gap in the family. Um, uh, My my non, I have four grandparents. And I've had the privilege of having them all in my life. I've been the oldest grandchild on both sides of the family. The first first grandchild. And I've had them all in my life since I was in my 30s. Up up to my 30s. And then they started to pass away. My favorite grandparent is still alive. I have one left. My nana, she lives in Darlington. She's 93 years old. I visit her once a month and, you know, take care of things for her and that kind of stuff. And uh, she's had more influence in my life than any other person above my parents and everybody. She's been the positive influence. She practically raised me. I love her more than anything. And I'm her favorite. And she'll tell all of you I'm her favorite. She'll tell her children I'm her favorite grandchild. She'll tell all the grandchildren. Y'all know John Paul's my favorite. Everybody knows I'm her favorite. Um, when I first started pastoring, I was 26 years old, and I, I was working three other jobs, and it was very stressful, and I thought, when am I going to be able to get a salary, and, you know, um, is the, is, are we going to have finances to have a building one day, and all this stuff, and I remember thinking, well, I know my nana, she'll tithe to my church, wherever I'm at, my nana, because she loves me more than anybody, and, you know, I'm her favorite, and everything like that. And she came to my very first time I preached, and she cheered me on, you know. And then, of course, she lives in Darlington. And so I, I thought I'd be getting checks in the mail. And then I said, no, no. I said, how come you're not tithing? I'm a pastor now. You know, I think I'm gonna... she said, baby, there's nobody I'd rather hear preach than you. Nobody I'd rather hear play the piano. I love you more than anybody. But I'm a member at First Baptist Church. And I said, no, no, that's a $20 million church. They don't need your $12 a week. I need that $12 a week. She said, baby, the tithe goes to my family. You're my blood family. I love you more than anything. But my church family is where I get fed. I realized in that moment, number one, I wasn't her favorite. Jesus was her favorite. And then number two, I realized how important a family, a church family really is and we made it without her $12 a week we somehow found a way to get by you know anyway let me close with this and then I'll, I'll let you go now out of I had about by Sunday night 
I usually know what I'm preaching on the following week, and I usually have about one to two hundred scriptures that I've studied by Tuesday night, and I start narrowing it down. So to close, I had to pick from like 87 different things that I could not decide, okay? You'll see why I chose this, but it's a weird scripture that you're not going to understand at first, but give me a second, okay? Exodus 13.1 says this, the Lord said, sanctify to me, it's mine, it's set apart, it's holy. Now, this is talking to someone who had a business, because if you own your own business, the paychecks are different. So this is God saying, if you want your business to prosper, here's how you handle the profit from your business. Okay, watch this. Sanctify to me, set apart for my purpose. It's mine. It's so possessive in the Hebrew. I wish you could really grasp. It is so possessive. Don't, don't do anything else besides what I tell you to do with it. It is only what I say. It's mine. You can't touch it. You can't give it so. You can't give it to an orphanage. You can't give it to a mission. It's mine. I'll tell you exactly what to do with it. It's mine. It's mine. Set apart my purpose. Every firstborn of animal. So every time one of the animals, because they were in the ranching business. This was ranchers. And anytime you have a prophet, which is one of your, your lambs have a baby or sheep has a baby, whatever they do. When they have a baby, it, that firstborn of that mama, it's mine. Now, if you give it to me, all the rest will be blessed. Don't wait till the mama has 10 babies and then the 10th one that gets in the garden that, you know, walks sideways and backwards. That's the one you kill. No, 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 no. The first one, if you want the rest to be blessed, the first one's mine. It takes faith to give the first one is what he's saying. The first, it belongs to me. Verse 12, all the firstborn of your livestock shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn donkey, which is the exemplary of, a, of an unclean animal. You shall redeem it. You must. You must redeem it with a lamb, a clean animal. If you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Now, didn't that scripture just bless your heart so much? Okay. So, first of all, I want you to see this. If you don't bring it back to whom it belongs, you're going to lose it anyway. I just want you to see that in that last. You're going to lose it anyway. God is always first. You, you can either lose it and be under the curse, or you can bring it back and be under the blessing, but you're going to lose it anyway. Okay. So, anyway. Um... The donkey is an unclean animal. And God said this, all of the unclean animals, if you want that donkey to grow up and get strong and be used on the farm and you can, it can help you with your business, if you want your business to profit from this unclean animal, you must redeem it with a clean animal. And all the firstborn of the clean animals you sacrifice. Now, the word redeem, to help you understand that word, um, Imagine, so we went to an arcade on our vacation, and I would have been better off going to a casino. Uh, but I took the money from the you know, arcade, and we spent $100 in the arcade. We won 10,000 tickets. And then we take all these tickets, and we redeem them. We trade them. We purchase a Hello Kitty pencil for $100. So that's what, so you take all these tickets. That's pretty much what it's like, believe me. You don't have kids nowadays. $100, you get to play for two minutes in the arcade, and you get a Hello Kitty pencil. So, you know, a, a 10,000 tickets, we redeem them. Everybody saying redeem means purchase, buy back. And God is saying that firstborn, it's mine. If you want it, if you want it to be blessed, if you want the rest to be blessed, you have to pay for it. You have to, you have to bring it to me. It's mine. Do what I want to. Show that you honor me. It's mine. Okay? So everybody understand, unclean animal must be redeemed with the clean. And the cleanest sacrifice. Do you understand that? Okay. Were you and I born clean or unclean? And before you answer, let me ask the experts, the parents. Did you have to teach your children to be bad or did it come naturally for them? It came naturally for them, right? So we were all born 
unclean. Does everybody understand that? Was Jesus born clean or unclean? Clean. clean. Okay, listen. The clean had to be sacrificed so the unclean could be redeemed. Jesus is God's tithe. Here's why. Listen, here's why. Jesus is the firstborn, right? Listen real close. Oh, you're going to love this. God did not wait to see if you were going to grow up and start coming to church and give and serve and worship. And then God said, you know what? They're going to clean themselves up. I will sacrifice Jesus for them. No, no. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, while we were still beating him, spitting on his face and nailing him to a cross, God went ahead and sacrificed his son in faith that you and I would one day grow up and receive him and be able to be used by him in a great way. That's how Jesus is God's time. Now I want to close with this. Verse 14 says this. When the time comes and your son asks you, Dad, why are you doing this? What are you doing this to the animals for? You shall tell him, God brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery with a mighty hand. He delivered us. So the son says, Dad, listen, I, I know one day I'm going to take over the business. I know I'm not doing it yet, so I'm not trying to really get in your way here. But, Dad, I, I've, I've noticed that we're, you know we're in the ranching business. You know this is our, our livelihood. This is our profit. And, Dad, I've been looking at the books from 2020, and it seems like it's been a bad year because I'm noticing in 2020. Dad, you, you're, you're, you're literally killing our profit. You are literally killing what we have coming in. I don't understand why you're doing this. It seems weird. Um, it's, Dad, if you didn't do this, we would have so many more animals. Our business would do so much more. Why are you killing our profit? And the dad says, oh, son, I got to tell you something. We never told you yet. You're old enough to know this. But we weren't always in the ranching business. In fact, there was a time we owned no land, no property. Son, before you were born, we were slaves. And we were beaten and tortured and worked our fingers to the bone with little to no food and water. And then one day, God, with a mighty hand, reached down and delivered us from Egypt out of slavery. And he's given us all of this. So, son, we gladly return to God everything that belongs to him. Um, before I started tithing in 2003... I had two kids at the time, and there were twice, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but two times, I went to Walmart to get groceries, and we're getting formula and diapers and all that. I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart where you see them ringing up, the, and you think, oh, please don't let it get past this amount, please. And it gets right past that amount. You got people behind you, and you have to look at the cashier and try to whisper it. Can you please put some stuff back? I don't have enough money to pay for our groceries. I don't have enough money for the diapers. I don't have enough money for the formula. We, we, I'm so sorry. And then they're putting stuff back and trying to unring and pull things out of bags. And everyone's watching it. Twice that happened to me. Twice.
twice before we became faithful tithers in our life. So a few years after that, we're, you know, I'm tithing and God's just, I've never had to worry about finances since that day. And my son, Zach, was six or seven years old and he was just learning about checks and money in school. I don't know if y'all know what checks are. Young people, check is these pieces of paper and you can, and, um, and so, you know, I, I, I get, I get, I've always gotten paid once a month. And so I think I would, my salary was maybe $2,800 a month at the time. And so my tithe is $280. Wrote the check, put it, you know, there Saturday night. We're going to church the next morning. And Zach grabs the check. He says, Dad, what's this? And I said, well, that's, that's the money we're, we're, you know, giving to church, bringing it to church. It's our, it's our tithe. He's like, Dad. Now, around this time, all of his friends were going to Disney World. Every Christmas, that was their vacation. We were never able to do that. And he would always ask me, can we, can we go to Disney World? My friends are going to Disney World. Everybody's talking about Disney World. Disney World, Disney World. I was like, Zach, we just can't. We, we, we're, we, we're blessed. We have a house. You have clothes, car. Everything's fine. We, don't, we just don't have enough to go to Disney World. So when he saw that check, here's what he said. We can go to Disney World. And I thought, $280, we can buy one burger and a drink in Epcot. That's about it. You know, but I didn't say that. You know, he's learned about money. We can go to Disney I said, no, no, Zach, that's, that's God's. That belongs to the church. He said, but Dad. If you didn't give it to God, we'd be able to go and have a vacation, you know, our family. And so I sat him down and I did this. I said, Zach, your dad didn't always love God. In fact, there was a time where I hated Christians, hated the church and questioned everything about God. But one day, God with a mighty hand reached down and he changed your dad's heart and from that day forward he's blessed us and blessed us and blessed us so we happily and wholeheartedly bring God back what belongs to him we put him first now after that I took Zach to they had just built Coastal Grand Mall, so we decided to go up and down the escalator for six hours. I said, this is Disney World, buddy. This is Disney World. <laughs> he went to school. My dad took me to Disney World. We went up and down, up and down. <laughs> okay, it's God's tithe. It's my heart, and it's our family, and that's why we put God first financially. So, okay.